When the sun rises, I wake up and chase my dreams. I won't regret when the sun sets, cause I live my life like I'm a beast. This is the Sales Mall Podcast. Your hosts, Jerry Hill and Ryan Reiser, talk about the sales game and always keep it real. Hey everyone, a uh, slightly different format this week. Uh, Ryan Racer Reza is out for the day. So I am flying solo without his genius and expertise. But I say I'm flying solo, I'm not really. I'm joined by the marvellous Tom Williams. Interesting thread that we've been pulling on over the past four weeks, Tom, is this uh, theory around resilience as a function of life experience. And one of the reasons why I'm so excited to have you join us today is because I think you've got an amazing story um, about transitional life and transitioning from one thing to another. But for those in our audience who are mainly sales reps and startup founders and CEOs of scale-up companies, what what lift notes? Tell us a bit about Tom Williams. Oh, thanks, Jerry, and it's uh, I'm really thrilled to be here with you today. I uh, appreciate you asking me to come on, actually. To share share the thoughts around um, around my journey. My uh, as Jerry said, my name is Tom Williams. I'm a former professional rugby player. I played uh, all sorts of age group uh, rugby internationally. I played sevens internationally, but I never made it quite to the absolute pinnacle of playing for my country at Twickenham, which was something that I dreamed of as a kid. I played I played for 13 years for Harlequins, a rugby club based in southwest London, before moving into coaching. And lastly, over the last three years, I've been making the second transition of my life, my working life, uh, from first being from player to coach, and then lastly from coach to uh, transitioning into the corporate world, where I deliver um, predominantly culture and conduct, workshops, speeches, and training programs for financial institutions. It's not always finance-based, and uh, I'm trying to break the mould and try and break that market. Uh, it's just the links with Harlequins uh, are so steeped in the city that it proved the best way to leverage my knowledge there. Understood. Understood. I mean, it's an exciting time for you, but I bet, it, I bet it's sort of tinged with, with some anxiety and some nervousness, right? Yeah, I mean, it's, I've got three kids and my peak earning uh, was about the age of 25 to 26. And it went out quickly from the age of 18. The day after I turned 18, I, 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 uh, I went to Harlequins and I quickly went up to, to my peak earning potential at 26, 27. And then it tailed off to the back of my career. Towards the back end of my career, I had three children and, uh, and a, a big mortgage and bills to pay, which I was just totally not equipped for. I, I thought that life was going to be easy when I was making megabucks in, in the early 2000s. Uh, late to late to early 2000s sorry late to mid 2000s and I just didn't prepare for it I was out partying most evenings and dropping a load of cash on things that I couldn't handle in terms of booze so it was uh it was just it was a time in my life it was like so much fun like going out three times a week on the hose was brilliant but did I prepare myself for life afterwards absolutely not but it's probably the unique situation that sports people find themselves in and that they have to transition from their peak earning age 
and start again at the bottom. Uh, but if you can prepare yourself, of course, you start a bit higher up the food chain. But because I didn't ever, I never quite made the pinnacle. It meant that I didn't have the earnings to fall back on, and it was a, a bit of a struggle. So certainly the recent events of COVID and the uh, changing of um, working environments has meant I had to adapt. I had to be really, really resilient around how I did it. I had to think, right, I've got my focus, I've got my outcome, which I want to get to. I'm going to have to change the way I'm doing things. What mm. skills do I have? What can I call on in order to be uh, adaptive enough to try and get somewhere near that, that end goal that I'd set myself? Yeah, fascinating. And, um, you know, I think we see it a lot in the in the sort of sales career trajectory for a lot of people. They, they have these really high-functioning, high-performing years, um, probably don't sort of take their financial security that seriously. I probably was guilty of that as well um, early on. And, you know, the next thing you know, you've got down years or the market conditions change in the area that you're the expert or, you know, something flatlines or you burn out and all of a sudden you've kind of wasted opportunity because you probably weren't sensitive enough to, you know, those variables in life. One of the reasons why I think resilience is so important, though, is because, you know, a lot of people could just give up at that point, right? You know, a lot of people could not dig deep. They they might not have the sort of commitment or the control or the confidence or the ability to set the challenges that they need to to, to, to reestablish themselves. And I think you said something fascinating there, which was I sort of looked out backwards and worked back to what, what do I need to do against what I've got to offer. So what's that sort of innovation being? What's What's the thing that you've you've created that you can monetize and and help people with what, what's the story yeah so yeah so it's really interesting and i'm just going to go back to something you said there and just expand on it a little bit in, in that the, the super elite of us so the top one percent of sales people the top one percent uh sport of sports people they're a different breed they they are a breed unto themselves and they have that capability just not to care when they get shot down and such confidence in their ability that they will always find a way to be successful they'll manipulate whatever they need to do in order to get the outcome they desire for mere mortals like myself i had to surround myself with people who could help me get to that same state i couldn't do it on my own i wasn't i, I thought i could when i was younger but now through self-analysis, I'm aware of where my blind spots are. And I've had to fill those with people who can fill those blind spots. So who can do the things that I can't do. So my role has completely changed. And, and how I've leveraged what I'm doing and, and sorry, pivoted what I'm doing, not leveraged during this time is I've joined up with the German management consultancy company. Now, I don't speak a word of German, but I happen to do a free event. Well, I do. I did some one lesson at school and I can say hello but I did one event about three years ago a free event I, I'm always loath to do too much free stuff but the best things I've ever done have come from free events ironically but anyway that's probably another conversation for you and your sales team which, which you'll know a hell of a lot better than me but anyway so I did this free event at a medical conference called Risky Business in King's Cross just in the north of London for people who don't know and I just randomly bumped into a guy uh, and uh I randomly bumped into a guy and he said, oh, I really enjoyed your story. I enjoyed the way you told the story. Uh, let's keep in touch. Two years ago, I was trying to launch my own training company and it was not proving the biggest success in the world because I was going up against some big, well-established, former sporting-based uh, individuals. You think about John Amici, who used to be working in the MA, uh, NBA. He's got a yeah. doctorate. He's got a, a team of... Um, uh, a team of psychologists working behind him. And then you've got 
Lane 4, you know, for those who don't know, it's a huge training company based on Adrian Morehouse, the Olympian. And I was going up against these people as this one-man band, and I was trying to pitch completely naive about what, what I was doing and how I was doing it and thinking, yeah, I've got a chance here. Trusting people and taking their word for what they were saying. Now, I soon realised that I've got to change what I've got to do. I've got to try and attach myself to other people who can do what I can't do, but also uh, offer something different, offer something they don't have, but they need. And for me, that was a, a version of my personal story within rugby that is, is unique within the sport, but not necessarily unique within the wider scope if you factor in the amount of people who've been involved in misconduct uh, and trying to uh, bend the rules in the past in any industry. It really started to resonate with people. And I hooked up with as many any people as I could who could sell my story for me because I wasn't a good salesman. I'm not a good salesman, but what I can do is deliver a great story. Yeah, absolutely. For those who don't know your story, it's not something I'd necessarily want to dwell on, but your context is completely unique. And I think it speaks to a lot of things that early career salespeople might experience. You know, there's a high pressure environment. They are part of a cog in a machine. They want to impress. They want to be, uh, perceived to be a team player so for, for anybody who's not familiar are you okay to talk about that a little bit yeah you can put a check in the post mate no i'm kidding no 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 problem at all of course i can talk about it so i was involved in 2009 with one of the biggest scandals uh in professional sport you know behind the likes of lance armstrong of course because he was an international superstar and who the hell is tom williams but it was called bloodgate and anything that sort of uh, taken its name but from a, a president who ended up getting impeached in terms of Nixon and Watergate. You know that it's kind of a big deal. And, and everything now has followed on from Watergate. It's now Bloodgate or whatever it might be. Um, and Deflategate if you're in the US and you're talking about Tom Brady. But what happened was I ended up taking the can and carrying the can for something that was going on uh, above my level of decision-making. There was no consensus decision-making going on. I was told what to do and I did it because I was young and I was trying to impress my boss. Ultimately, I got banned for four months. Thought, what the hell am I doing? Came forward, told the truth. And my ban, sorry, I was banned for a year originally, but then my ban got reduced to four months. And the guy who set it all up, a guy called Dean Richards, ended up getting banned for four years and the club got fined a load of money. If you want to look it up, by all means, it's to hear Tom Williams' bloodgate on, on YouTube. It'll give you a good little insight as to what happened. It's a little four-minute clip. But, uh, yeah, ultimately, it left some really, really deep residual scars with me that live with me today. And, and it, you know, it has impacted what I do and how I act and how I behave. Uh, and sort of left me lost in the middle because I was involved in, in that misconduct early on in my career. I thought, I now look back on everything I do and think, overanalyze what I do I don't take risks where potentially I should take the odd risk and I take things personally with people like now I'm trying to sell and people don't get back to me and I, I take it personally I think oh why don't they all speak to me I'm a nice bloke I'm a good guy it's nothing to do with that it's just sales it's just the way it is so from my perspective the resilience uh, learnings I took from that event were huge huge but they're still living with me today and it's part of resilience is experiential yeah. So putting yourself in positions to fail and learning from that failure through analysis, analyze what you did wrong, work out what you did right, focus on what you did right the next time and try and incorporate all the best elements of you as an individual for whatever it is you're trying to do. So that self-analysis and that self-awareness is a key from my perspective to a resilience angle. 
So how do you bring that story forward and how do you help companies right now with, with that story, that message? What, what can you do for, a, let's say we have a sales leader who's listening to this over the weekend and he goes, you know what, this sounds familiar. I want my people to avoid that scar tissue. How can you help those guys? It's really interesting. For me, it always comes down to decision-making. Uh, we've got three decision-making systems as human beings. Uh, we've got our, our, uh, our what's it called? Um, you know, subconscious decision-making where we don't have to think about it. We blink, we breathe, we do it 30,000 times a day. You've probably done it 25,000 times already today. Then you've got your conscious decision-making where you actually have to raise your heart rate and you have to engage your prefrontal cortex and you've got to think, right, this is what I need to do. How do I do it? What's the outcome I want to get from it? Who's it going to impact? That's the second side of things. And then the third element that you need to consider is the team element. But like I was talking about, for those non-super elite people who cannot process all the information and cannot think about all the eventualities, surround yourself with people who do. Now, when you get into these decision-making environments, there are three possible states you can find yourself in. You can be failing. You can be surviving, which is just treading water, or you can be thriving at the end of it. Now, the, the decision-making systems where people are failing are randomized. They're unfocused. And the outcome is lucky. It's not planned for. You get to the other end of a scale where you're thrive, thriving, and you're based, and you're, this is for your leaders here. If you have your purpose aligned with your people and your parameters distinct, with a little bit of flexibility for innovation and a framework where, that allows them to do things in their own way, then your decision-making decision becomes much more structured. The outcomes become much more predictable and you become aligned and prepared for your outcome. You, you plan for the success you're going to have. You're not just going to rely on the lucky interception if you're a rugby fan or the, the bounce of a ball if you want another analogy. You need to plan as much as possible based around the strengths of your team and then align with the company direction. Yeah, it's fascinating. Really fascinating. I think my my sort of experience is in my time in the professional game, I didn't hit your heights even. Um, I was a tier two championship kind of player. I, I think that a couple of things really spring out. And I had this sensation again when I started working professionally in the white collar world was you're always working hard to impress because every day is an audition. Every day is an audition in a way that it isn't in the real world, the commercial world. So there's always that sense of anxiety. Am I doing well enough? Am I good enough? Can I be cut? Can I be let go? Will they renew my contract even? But that, that's a pressure point there. Um, at 24, 25 years old, did I have any sort of sense of judgment? Probably zero. I had zero risk, zero judgment. So it's an easy, easy thing to do is to fall into a decision-making pre that ultimately become sabotaging but it's not meant to be a sabotage it's not self-sabotage it's i'm going to make a decision because i want to play i want to put myself in a shop window right but i see people do it in in business you know I, i've had an incident over the past couple of weeks that sort of sharpened that axe for me a little bit which is don't be naive don't use your reactive brain use your conscious brain to make better decisions so you know we do repeat some of those mistakes um but it's got to be cognitive. You've got to learn from them. And, you know, I think that that's the key point for you, right? You've learned from them. You self-analyzed. You've absorbed. You've kind of got a way to create the story so that it benefits other people. And you found a way to monetize that. So huge credit, Tom. Huge credit. Yeah, and, it, you know, it's, it's, like, it's like trying to create a new habit, isn't it? Like new yeah. habits aren't made overnight. 
depending on what it is and the amount of time you spend spend on it, new habit can take up to 18, 20 days to, to complete, but it can also take up to a year to really ingratiate itself into your, your psyche, into the way you behave. And if you're talking about a bigger organization, trying to shift atmosphere or, or culture, then those changes are going to take a huge amount of time. And I, I'm desperate for success. I'm in the process of like that, that sort of second level of just waiting to, for that springboard to happen uh, and that, that couple more sales to come in and things will be going really, really well. And then it'll start taking care of itself. But I'm impatient for it. And I was impatient for it last year. And I just didn't know. And I always was craving that feedback that you're referring to and you were talking a second ago, how as a rugby player or a sportsman or as a youngster in a, in a class, you're always getting that feedback over and over again. Please, sir, how's this? What's this like? Is this great? I was one of those people who was always seeking approval always. and affirmation. But actually, you've got to be confident in your own ability. That was because I was not naive, but I didn't know myself. I didn't know my strengths. If I was confident in myself, I wouldn't have needed that positive affirmation all the time. I wouldn't have been reliant on it. So my advice to everyone is you've got to try and do that self-analysis. It's not a SWOT analysis. That's so 90s. It's much more than that. It's just what are your blind spots? If you can't fill in yourself, find someone to fill them for you. And that, that's my biggest advice. In my world, there's been some research recently. I'll try and dig it out for the footnotes. Um, but, you know, Apparently, something ridiculous like 87% of salespeople think they're good. And if you ask buyers, they reckon 40% of the salespeople they engage with are good. That kind of tells me about the self-awareness delta that exists in the world, not just in sales, but in the world. So the ability to be critical, self-critical, own your mistake, be accountable, you know, that's all good stuff. But you need to then turn that accountability and those learnings into action so that you either get better at the weakness or you become even stronger at your superpower and do what you've done to surround yourself with brilliant people to take care of that other stuff. Um, how can people find you, Tom? We're going to land the plane here because I know you've got to get away and pick up your kids from school. So where, where can people find you and, and how can you help people? This so you can find me on LinkedIn. Uh, my company's called TMW Development. And... Uh, I've uh, I've got a website which is currently under review. I'm sort of looking at it, but that's tmwdevelopment.com. Don't pay, pay too much attention because because of the hookups I'm making, both in the worlds of law and uh, with other external factors. So one of the things I'm doing at the moment is hooking up with a guy called Quaker Adaboli. Quaker Adaboli had a similar story to me, but he was uh, a UBS rogue trader, and the two of us are going to go around and present a uh, a keynote speech to all and sundry. But to add that up. It's all very well doing a keynote speech, but that one touch point might leave people going, oh, yeah, those are good stories. But they're not going to make a big difference. So what we tend to try and do is follow them up with workshops. And that's how we really make an impact on your business. That's how we really add value. We help people make more informed, more aligned decisions, but really help them understand the impact those decisions are going to make. And that's, uh, that's what we do over the course of two, three, four workshops, depending on the program that you, uh, you opt for. Amazing. Amazing, Tom. Really appreciate the time. Thank you so much for sharing part of your story. Would you be willing to come back and dig deeper on a couple of things? Yeah, of course I will. Cool. Well, thank you very much. Guys, we're back next week with Ryan, and we will have Dr. Doug back in the seat as we explore the fourth C of mental toughness and how it applies to your sales career. Thank you very much, all.